1. 2 Corinthians 1. Uh, most of us, I think, find it intriguing to watch someone who is well-seasoned or experienced at his or her craft. Uh, whether that be a leader who sets direction for an entire group and inspires others to follow, maybe where those people would never even think of, about going on their own. Or a tradesperson who uses his or her tools and skills with efficiency and proficiency really to create and finish a wonderful job. Or maybe you've watched a marksman line up behind his gun or, or behind his scope there and aim at a target over a kilometer away and drill it. Or an artist who turns every stroke into beauty. Or a musician who perfectly executes an extremely, extremely difficult piece and, and makes it seem like it wasn't even hard. Or maybe you've watched a soccer, or a soccer player who's kicked a ball and looped that ball basically around the reach of the goalie right into the upper corner of the net. Uh, such people tend to make extremely difficult things look easy. And what's probably happened for them is through hours of experience and through endless repetition and sometimes actually even through a lot of trial and error and even failure, uh, they became seasoned and skilled. And those who are less seasoned uh, are wise to become the humble apprentices of such people. And this morning, uh, I've asked you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're just going to look at verses 8 to 11 together. And I want to approach them, if we can, kind of uh, a little bit as a case study. Maybe we could put on our counselor's hat and ask, how would a counselor approach this text and see if we can't uh, just watch and learn from a well-seasoned, experienced Christian and what he does when he's completely and totally overwhelmed. And what I'd like to do is walk through this text and basically replay it in slow motion and see if we can't just watch step by step by step what happens. The steps that the Apostle Paul took at a time of intense personal difficulty in his life. And let's just see if we can watch and learn. The interesting thing, though, with a seasoned, mature Christian is when they go through difficult, overwhelming seasons, uh, it doesn't always look pretty. It's often messy. And it's a struggle. And the person that really looks amazing isn't that person. It's actually the Lord because of their great weakness. And I think that we'll see that with the Apostle Paul here this morning. And so we're going to look at this because I think every person here at times feels unbelievably overwhelmed. And I have no doubt that there are many of you right now, and that's the case for you, and for many different reasons. It's not all the same reason, but in one way, shape, or form, you've been pressed beyond what you can handle. And that was the Apostle Paul. In verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he draws attention to the affliction that he had experienced in Asia. And apparently the Corinthians had some basic idea of what that was. Uh, we don't gather that they really had a full picture of that, but they probably at least knew what he was referring to. Uh, we don't. And so all we can do is, is conjecture. Some think that the affliction that Paul is referring to in this text uh, goes back to a riot that occurred in Ephesus led by the silversmith Demetrius. You may recall that from Acts chapter 19, verses 23 and following. Others think that as Paul refers to what was going on, he may have uh, had an illness in mind that was nearly fatal for him, where he almost died. Others would reference one of his imprisonments, and perhaps at one of those, he thought for sure that this was the point where he was going to be executed. This was, this was the end. And others would reference intense opposition from his fellow Jews. Uh, you may recall as well that on multiple occasions, Paul was beat with 39 stripes, basically beat pretty much to the doorstep of death. Whatever it was that Paul was referencing, he believed that he was going to die and that there was literally nothing he would, could do about it. This was the end. There was no answer. There was no solution. 
And I think what this text ultimately does as, as we look at what was going on in Paul's life, it is a reminder that you are weak. And what God wants you to do is turn to him for comfort and strength. And again, that's often a really messy process. Let's just look at what was going on in Paul's life. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to read from verse 8 down through verse 11. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I said we kind of want to slow down and just replay this passage a little bit step by step. And as we do that, I'd just like to highlight four steps to take when overwhelmed. What do you do when you are completely overwhelmed? Step number one, and I think we see Paul doing this, even though he wouldn't probably say that they were steps. But step number one, identify exactly what you feel. Look at verses eight and nine again. We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. And then what he's going to do, he's going to tell us in a few different phrases exactly what he, as well as his traveling companions, were feeling. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And then verse 9, he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Here, Here you have a grown man, and he's talking to other people about his feelings. Paul articulates exactly what he felt. And in fact, he's going to use three different phrases to to pinpoint that very, very precisely. What he and his companions were feeling. He's under an immense amount of pressure. And probably the key phrase that tells us how Paul was feeling is this one. He says, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul fully expected to die. And humanly speaking, there's no way out. There's no escape from certain death. There's no exit. The problem couldn't be fixed or remedied. What Paul is saying is, I was literally at the end. There was nothing that could be done. There was nothing he could do or that anybody else could do. Uh, How else did he feel? Well, he says that we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Maybe you felt that way at times. Paul felt unbearably crushed. What he was going through was beyond his ability to endure. And the thing is, he, he recognized that. It was too much for him. He was in way, way, way too deep. And the final phrase that he uses to tell us how he felt, he said, we despaired of life itself. You know, I think sometimes that doesn't sound like the type of phrase that a Christian should be saying or admit. We despaired of life itself. But Paul does. Paul felt hopeless about his situation. It was indeed impossible he no doubt had so much more that he wanted to do for Jesus. I think that's part of it. He, Paul's, Paul's heart is the mission and gospel advance. And he's doing things over here and over there and all these things. They're not complete yet. And he had so much more that he wanted to do for Jesus and for the mission, but he wasn't going to be able to do it. And if you're feeling overwhelmed in some way, I would just ask you this. Can you identify exactly what it is that you're feeling right now? And in fact, can you get really specific? Can can you pinpoint it? Can you hone in on it? 
Your heart may be a tornado of sorts of inner feelings and emotions. You're just a mess inside. Try to pinpoint what exactly those feelings are. Maybe down to just a few words and a few different phrases. What are you feeling overtaken by? Uh, I think it could be a lot of things. It could be anxiety. It could be despair. A sense of hopelessness. Maybe it's a sense of inner rage and injustice about something that's going on. Maybe it's pain or fear of something on the horizon or sorrow or a sense of loneliness or exhaustion. Perhaps inadequacy with whatever lies in front of you. Or just plain weariness or confusion. You just cannot sort through what's going on. Or maybe a sense of guilt over your own personal failure and sin. What is it for you? Uh, Have you ever tried to untangle a bunch of extension cords? Or maybe more recently it's been Christmas lights that all got tangled up in a big nasty ball. It's like, who put these away? You know, it's probably your spouse. You can blame them. It was this big, nasty mess. Knotted mess. I recently did that with a pile of audio cables, just a, a big wad. I, didn't, I couldn't even tell how many cables were all wound up together. There was a big wad of them all tangled together, and it was such a mess that I couldn't tell how many cords were there or how long they were. And so what I did is I began untangling them and removing one strand at a time and winding them up neatly. Eventually, I got them all separated individually and wound back up. And there they were all sitting individually. And I could tell exactly what was there. Um, I could identify that. And I think what happens is for you and I, our feelings and emotions can be just like that, right? It's just this big, nasty hairball of everything all tangled up. And you're just experiencing it. You're just living it. It's a knotted up ball. And what you need to do is actually slow down and start unraveling that ball until you've separated out the individual strands. Okay, what is it? Okay, it's this feel. I feel this. And I feel that. And I really feel this. And and maybe you get it down to three or four or five small short phrases. This is exactly what I'm feeling. I think what happens though is often we never slow down to do that. We just experience all of our emotions and all of our feelings at full force. Identify exactly what you feel. I'm personally kind of a pen and paper guy. I try to do this sometimes myself. I just get out a piece of paper and a pen. Okay, can I put this in phrases? Can you articulate in a phrase what exactly it is that you feel? And I would encourage you to do that. And in fact, what I'd encourage you to do is do that right now. Maybe on your phone, maybe on a piece of paper and pen, or maybe just a mental note in your head. What is it? Seasoned Christians learn to slow down long enough in God's presence with their thoughts to identify exactly what it is that they are feeling. And you may go, this sounds, I don't know, kind of wishy-washy. Well, it sounds really, really wishy-washy until we come to the second step. Step number two to take when overwhelmed is to match your feelings to corresponding facts about God. That's why you need to do step one. You need to identify what what your feelings are so that you can take this second step. Look at verse nine again. We see Paul doing this. He says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who what? Raises the dead. What exactly did Paul feel? Well, he told us he felt the sentence of death But what Paul did is he just matched what he felt to a corresponding fact about God. God raises the dead. 
God is the one who has power over life and death. And Paul's recognizing, okay, there's no way out, but God is the one that determines a person's day of birth and a person's day of death. And Paul recognizes that God would deliver Paul from death until his course was run. And furthermore, he recognized that God had raised Jesus from the grave and that God would do the exact same thing for Paul. Paul is able to see his crisis in God's larger plan of redemption and salvation. It's not just even that he's connecting his feelings to a corresponding fact about God. He's stepping back and he's seeing God's grand scheme. His plan of redemption and salvation and and God's eternal picture. I want to ask you, what about God's character and his deeds? Matches or corresponds to what you feel. Uh, You need to remind yourself that there is something in God that is literally probably the very antithesis of all of your feelings. Let me give you several examples of, of what this might look like. You may say something like this. My feelings of weariness and exhaustion are matched by the God who gives strength and he never needs to sleep. Psalm 121, he never slumbers or sleeps. My feelings of confusion and uncertainty are matched by the God who gives wisdom and he knows all things. And in James chapter 1, he's told me to come to him and ask for that wisdom. My feelings of pain, sorrow, and brokenness are matched by the God who comforts, heals, and binds up every single wound. My feelings of stress and worry and anxiety are matched by the God who gives peace and and the God who calms the sea and the the God who as we prayed this morning, knows about all the sparrows and each one of them that falls to the ground. My feelings of inadequacy and insufficiency are matched by the God who abundantly supplies and he gives aid. My feelings of need are matched by a God who faithfully provides for all of my needs. And my feelings of abandonment and loneliness are matched by the God who never leaves or forsakes and who is always there. My feelings of sadness and sorrow are matched by the God who himself is pure joy and hope. And who catches every tear we read in the Psalms in his bottle. And as we read in Isaiah, he'll wipe away all tears from all faces. My feelings of helplessness are matched by the God who gives aid. My feelings of anger And my feelings of a sense of injustice and wrongdoing and evil, they're matched by a God who sits on his throne and he rules and reigns in perfect justice. And he is the one to whom vengeance belongs. And he said it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And he's promised one day to set all things right. My feelings of impatience towards people are matched by the God who is long-suffering towards all. My feelings of guilt and shame over my sin are matched by the God who is faithful to forgive and he gives grace and he gives second chances like he did with Jonah. Whatever your feelings are, you would be wise to match them to corresponding facts about God. And that's actually what the psalmist did. It's what Paul did. We also see the psalmist doing it. Psalm 94 verse 19. The psalmist said, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. What was the psalmist doing? He was saying, I have cares, a lot of them. I have cares and worries and anxieties. And when the cares of my life are many, your consolations, your comforts cheer my soul. 
And I think the pattern that we see again and again in Scripture with God's people is they line all their cares up, they line up all their anxieties, they line up all their feelings, and they match them with God's comforts and, and corresponding facts about God. Maturity is not based nearly as much on what you feel as much as on what you do with what you feel and how you respond to what you feel. Paul doesn't gloss over his feelings of despair and helplessness. And I think we're, we're so quick to do that. I don't want anybody to know what I'm really feeling. I don't even want to think about what I'm really feeling. And yet Paul, just out it comes to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not ashamed of these things. It's what he does with them that matters. And the way that he handles them ultimately brings glory to God. When a large boat like a cruise ship where a container ship comes into port, it needs to be secured somehow, right? So that it doesn't crash into the pier or drift away or someone gets smashed between the boat and the dock. And I don't know a whole lot about boats, but you look at the pictures of these large boats and what do you see? You see, you see them there in the port and you see these massive ropes or, or cables coming down from the edge of the ship all the way down to the pier or the dock or wherever, wherever they've come into port. The boat is secured and tied off at multiple anchor points. The movable object, the boat, is tied to an immovable object, the shore. And that's what you've got to do with your boat, if I could word it that way. Lines must go out from you and your feelings, and they need to be tied off directly. They need to be anchored to specific anchor points. In other words, facts about God, the one who never moves. And if I could just encourage you, slow down and take time to secure your boat, if I could word it that way, to the Lord, and your feelings to the Lord. That's not a waste of time. You have to stop and do that. And that, it might not even take you that long to do, but it will be immensely helpful. What type of captain would be so careless as to guide his boat into port without sending the lines out and tying it off? Who would do that? That would be crazy. And yet many Christians guide their feelings uh, somewhere near the Lord, and we live our Christian lives all around the Lord, and yet we never actually tie those feelings off to him specifically. We never draw the lines from our feelings down to anchor points tied in the Lord himself. Match your feelings to corresponding facts about God. Whatever feelings you wrote down, I'd encourage you to write what corresponds about God next to them. And try to be as specific as you can. Maybe it's a couple things. But seasoned Christians learn to habitually match their overwhelming feelings to corresponding facts about God. But you can't stop there. There's a third step that you need to take. Step number three seems to be pretty obvious, but sometimes easier said than done, is to rely on the Lord. Look at verses 9 and 10. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God does not want you to rely on yourself. In fact, according to verse 9, that's one of the reasons that God allows you to feel overwhelmed. I don't know if you caught that with Paul's wording, but Paul's recognizing that's why God let Paul feel the full weight of the sentence of death. I mean, he's feeling it in his entirety. There is no escape. There is no way out. This is crushing. 
By nature, we tend to be self-dependent and self-reliant and we want to try to figure out how to make it work and we're fighters. And, but the fact of the matter is we're just not sufficient. And maybe what God is trying to do with you is break you of your self-reliance and produce within you a reliance on yourself. God, you've brought me to the point that's beyond me. And that's a grace of God. Can you see the sovereign, providential hand of God behind whatever difficulty you're facing? Again, we don't know exactly what Paul was facing. We just don't know. We don't know what made him feel the sentence of death. But behind that feeling... Paul didn't see some wicked, corrupt government. You got the wrong guy. You're beating an innocent man. <laughs> well, that's not what we're hearing him saying to the Corinthian people. Or he's not blaming some evil person. Uh, say it was the riot at Ephesus. He's not saying, Demetrius, Demetrius, Demetrius. He's the problem. Or he doesn't see some human error or oversight or some stupidity or some sin, even though all those things may have been going on. What did Paul see? He saw the hand of God. And it seems that he's walking walking away saying, God is trying to refine me and God is trying to teach me to rely on him. And this is not pretty. It's messy and he's struggling and he feels he's despairing of life. And in humble dependence, he's learning to rely on God more. God sovereignly allowed those feelings to produce something in Paul, forced reliance on God. And God's doing the same thing with you and with me. God doesn't want you to rely on yourself. God wants you to rely on him. He wants you to take whatever facts about him that correspond to your feelings and anchor your soul to those facts and hang on. Paul felt the sentence of death, and so he anchored his soul to the fact that God is the one who raises the dead, and he hung on. In verse 10, Paul set his hope in God to deliver him from death, and apparently God did that thing. And as Paul looked forward at the mission ahead, and he, he was just confident, until my race is run, until God decides my race is run, he's going to spare me and let me keep working, however God sees fit. And when God decides that my race is run, well, then it'll be done. You too can anchor your soul to the Lord and rely on him. Uh, Our home is nearing its 90th birthday in the 1950s or 60s. My understanding, it used to sit out at the airport. And in the 1950s or 60s, it was moved from the Edmonton airport to where it currently sits. And at that time, the house was set down on a new cinder block foundation. Uh, However, no foundation was built under the front porch. And and the roof line comes down, and there's four pillars or so uh, holding up that weight. And there's just no foundation under it at all. The supports under the porch were literally sitting on the top of the dirt. And for several decades, since the 50s or 60s, every winter with the freeze-thaw cycle, as the ground would freeze, the porch would heave up. And heave down, heave up, heave down. And the stucco cracked all down on either side of it. No foundation. It desperately needed to be fixed. And this fall, I called a screw pile guy. I don't know if you know what screw piles are. They're basically giant screws. Think seven, eight, nine, ten feet long. Big metal screws. We cut holes uh, in the front porch. And the screw pile guy came with those screw piles. And he drove them through the holes Uh, down below the frost line, and they drive those screws into the ground until they reach a certain torque, where where those things are 
They are in the ground and they're not going anywhere. And so that's what he did. It was a big, big job. Got below the frost line, got to down to torque. And once those piles were in, we built uh, a giant new beam going across those t- piles. It's basically just a piece of metal sticking out of the ground. And we put a new beam uh, on all those piles underneath there and, and then raised that beam up, jacked it up, taking the whole way to the house on that beam. It was really not fun. Uh, Greg Hunter, our, one of our elders, was under the porch with me. It was elder bonding time under my porch. Um, so I love him. Just a time to say how much I appreciate Greg. Uh, but there we were having a great time. We get all the weight on this new beam. And do you know what we did after that? The old one, which was sitting on the dirt and the old post coming down and sitting on the dirt, we ripped it all out. Because it wasn't needed. It wasn't good to begin with, and now it wasn't needed at all. That was a great day for me to have that job done. I think what God wants you to do is is something similar. Realize the support system that you have in place, you, and that you're prone to rely on really is no good. And through the crisis, through the problem, God wants you to learn that there's a, there's a better support system it needs put in place and you need to put all of your weight down on that and get rid of the old one because it's no good. That's exactly what God wants you to do, to rely on him and to say to God, God, I have nothing. I cannot do this. I can't fix it. What's needed for this is not in me. I don't have it in me. And so I look to you, all of this weight, I want to transfer it from my shoulders onto you and let you be God. And again, this is messy. This is Paul. It's just, it's all, it just feels like a bunch of kind of dirty laundry coming out there. And yet at the end of the day, God's taking all that weight and he's the one getting all the glory. Seasoned Christians learn to rely on God instead of themselves when they are overwhelmed. And further, they see the presence of the pressure as God's sanctifying grace in their lives. They recognize, God, you're trying to do something in me. You're trying to change me. You're trying to teach me to rely on you. God, I want to obey and I want to do that and I want to depend and I want to rely on you just like you want me to do. The fourth and final step that I think we could quickly miss but is equally as important as all the rest Step number four, enlist the prayer and support of others. Paul begins verse eight with this. He says, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. Very interesting words. We don't want you to be ignorant. He's sharing with the Corinthian church what was going on in his life in a way that for many of us maybe would even be a little bit embarrassing. And when he gets to verse 11, he specifically asked them to pray for him. Look at verse 11. God's already delivered him from death, but apparently he was still under that pressure. And now he's asking them, verse 11, he says, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul expects that his life will continue to be threatened. There's no reason it won't be. I mean, it's just been one scenario like that after another. And so he solicits the prayers of his brothers. And I would imagine for Paul, wherever he was writing this letter, that as those words, as as they came to the written page, out of his mouth and ended up on a written page, I would imagine in that moment, wherever Paul was writing from, 
that there must have been a certain sense of relief to get this off of his chest and verbalize it with other people as he penned these words to his friends. What he did is he took his burden and he put it on the Lord, but part of giving his burden to the Lord was actually giving it to the Lord's people so that they could pray and so that they could help and so they could care as they could love him and support him and bring the same burden to the Lord in prayer and and consequently be brought in and see God work and also praise God at the end of the day. Unfortunately, many Christians journey through the Christian life alone. And for many of you, there may really be no we in your Christian life. And that would be very unfortunate. Maybe for you, it's just kind of me. And I live my Christian life as an individual, and that's just how it is. That's not how God designed it. God didn't make you to be a standalone Christian. Paul's not waiting for the Corinthian church to say, Paul, how, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? He's not waiting for people to probe. He's going to them and he's telling them. Here's what's going on. He's telling them because he understands that the Christian life is communal and that he needs his brothers and sisters in Christ. And that this is how God designed it. They're a family. And so I want to encourage you this morning, enlist the prayer and support of other people. And maybe I could just encourage you this way. Would you do that with at least one other person? Just one person. Would you go to them, sit down and say, I don't want you to be ignorant. You're my friend. You're my brother and sister in Christ. And like Paul, I don't want you to be ignorant of what's going on in my life. And so here's what it is. Here's what's going on. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's the nasty or maybe just messy hairball of emotions that's in my heart and in my chest and what's going on. And and here's what I've been able to identify about those feelings. And I'm wrestling to tie my feelings to corresponding facts about God. And I've been working through that. And here are some of the things about God that I'm trying to cling to and that I'm thinking through. Would you pray for me that I would rely on him and, and not myself? And would you pray that God would change me in this process? I don't like this. And this is hard. And this is difficult. But I know that God is in this and that he's working and he's trying to refine me and change me. Would you pray that that would happen? Would you pray that I wouldn't become bitter or angry or jaded or fleshly or whatever else? Would you pray that God would do what God wants to do, that he would change me and that he would work for his glory? Seasoned Christians learn to, to not go at it alone but to enlist the prayer and support of others. And again, I would encourage you, maybe just one person, maybe someone you trust, maybe two people, but don't go at it alone. You're weak. God wants you to turn to him for comfort and strength. Again, when we watch anyone seasoned in their trade or their skill, they make hard things look easy. When you watch a mature Christian journey through the overwhelming circumstances of life, it doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always look nice and rosy. It's often very messy and it's difficult. But the person who looks amazing at the end of the day is not that person. The person who gets all the glory is God himself because man has completely come to the end of himself. And that's where God's glory is seen the greatest when we come to the end of ourselves and we rely on him and he gets put on display.
And I think that's exactly what all of us want. I hope that as you feel overwhelmed, whether that be in minor ways or in enormous ways, that you will turn to the Lord and that you will rely on him for comfort and for strength. Would you bow your head with me at this time?